This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Empire. Chat capabilities are changing everything. But it doesn't have a source of truth. And that is where our company is excited to uh, see the best of both worlds come together. Okay. But you will see a lot of companies now, they're just going to be able to accelerate what they're doing in the AI space. That's Don White, CEO of Satisfy Labs, on how teams are part of a new world of AI communication. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. There's no doubt by now that you've heard about ChatGPT and its disruptive ability to communicate. Or you may have heard about search engine Bing implementing an ability to have a relationship with the search that was previously not nearly as detailed. We're in a new space on communication, one teams and leagues have been surfing in for some time. Our guest this week is a repeat guest, Don White, who's the CEO of Satisfy Labs, and we're going to discuss digitizing the box office as their AI assistants are helping Major League Baseball teams, including the Houston Astros, score some key additional highlights for their fans as they sell tickets. Hey, Don, how are you? Good, thank you. All right, let's uh, remind everybody what you guys do. Tell everybody what Satisfy Labs does. We're an AI chat company. We deploy a machine learning tool that acts as a digital employee or a team of digital employees. So you can serve your fans either via revenue attribution or guest experience. So all their questions get answered and their purchases are made easier. Okay. Um, Tell me how that has modernized through the last few years since last we spoke, where um, I would assume the technology in AI and chat has been, has changed dramatically. Yeah, I mean, a major shift is the actual delineation of roles. So I think in the past, even in our early days, it was one system that tried to handle a myriad of queries and do a lot of different things at a fairly satisfactory level. As the data got improved or the volume grew, you're able to segment into experts. So we now have literally AI ticketing experts that know 10 million different questions related to ticketing, how to upsell a person, how to potentially get a higher price on something. So that like specificity is what's new and it starts to create a higher expectation of what these technologies can do. Okay. And where do you see it going from here? Is it going to be exponentially better in one, three, five years? How do you see it evolving? I mean, the next 12 18 months, you're going to see a greater leap in the last six years. Uh, now, with the introduction of large language models, I'm sure you've played with ChatGPT. Yep. We are working on an integration with ChatGPT as we speak. And so there's a lot of expectations 
that have risen to the point where anyone that's putting out a what you call a standard chatbot in today's market that is keyword based and and somewhat limited is just not going to be respected or purchased. So I think everyone's now looking for the deeper layers. I'm excited about that given what we've engineered. Since you mentioned it, um, what's just your general takeaway of ChatGPT? What do you make of it? Uh, One of the most disruptive launches in the last, 30 years. I mean, it, it equates to, I think everyone was kind of assuming they'd understood the limits of that technology. And then this, this model comes out that can literally generate content. Uh, if you read, if you read about it enough, it does talk about even ChatGPT itself talks about its limitations. So the value is it's excellent at summarizing information, accessing information, but it doesn't have a source of truth. And that is where our company is excited to uh, see the best of both worlds come together. Okay. But you will see a lot of companies now, they're just going to be able to accelerate what they're doing in the AI space, leveraging a tool like that or the new Google um, one that's coming out in the immediate immediate days. Okay. Um, when you say um, a source of truth, what do you mean by that? What, what do you... What are you saying? So chat, chat GPT can answer any question, but there's no evidence that it's actually correct. It's huh. actually part of, you could ask chat GPT what its limitations are and it will tell you, which is a great exercise for anyone <laughs> out there. And one of them is that it doesn't know what it doesn't know. And so in, in our product, you know, our 400 customers are giving us verified content, verified answers that they want to present to their fan or, or visitor. And that's where it becomes a unique understanding of where is this answer coming from? Is it being generated or is it being verified? And our business is about the verified. Verified. Okay. All right. Last thing on this then. How does it not know it doesn't know something? Yeah. It, it basically is able to conjure information that answers the question with a strong confidence in how it's written. Yeah. But it could say something like, based on scraping the internet from 2021 or even scraping a website, yes, City Field does have this IPA because it did it one time. Yeah. It doesn't mean it has it today. Got it. So it can be truth in time or it can be actually just someone wrote it somewhere and, and maybe that's not the right person to ask. Okay. Let's focus in on what you're doing with the ticketing experience. Um, why don't you take us through what you did with the Astros and obviously they have a very good team. So I'm sure demand is, is relatively high for them. Um, take us through how you worked with them and, and how you helped kind of streamline their ticketing experience. I think the point you just raised is actually my favorite part about this, this, uh, this project is the team was exceptionally successful on the field. So they weren't looking to like move, all these tickets per se, they were looking to digitize a, we'll call it an analog way of doing things, which the box office is a a physical space that someone has to go to. Potentially you could even have a queue or a line. And so they're just thinking about the future. How do we act our fan and our revenue opportunities with the most scale? Uh, Trevor Purvis, I met him a few years ago and he caught on to the idea of things that we were building, even probably when we first met. And so it was really he, him that led this idea 
of flipping the box office into like a QR code type experience. Yeah. And instead of having people necessarily being there and, and the fan having to walk up there is, well, let's give them instant access. So the, you know, the almost quarter million dollars in ticket sales that were generated through literally a QR code purchase flow with tickets.com speaks for itself. And it was literally a, just an idea that became a thing. And then over 70% of those tickets were sold on the day of the game. So a lot of the theories about why certain ways of doing things are in place were really kind of put to rest with some of the data that came out of this this project. Okay. Um, I'm sure this is something you deal with, the teams have to deal with as well. Um, The idea of modernizing how you can just buy a ticket by walking up. Um, What is your understanding of the general public of being comfortable with it at this point? For for me and you, I get it. And it's great. That makes it easier. And I'll just do it. it. Yeah, I'll just do it. Um, Is that reality for a lot of the customers? And I think specifically, if we're talking about a baseball team, older customers who may not be as comfortable with technology quite yet. I, I actually had the bias similar to yours when the first time we launched into ticketing was in Broadway. And it was actually the first show, I believe, was Miss Saigon. I don't know if you've seen Miss Saigon, but yep. it's, you know, from back in the day. Yep. Uh, it did a retread. It came to come back. So the, the Broadway market has found tremendous success in this technology for the past couple of years, even before we launched it in sports. And they have usually a older demographic. Uh, especially even we'd have tourists coming from out of town to see Hamilton or Wicked prefer this purchase flow to the ticket tab on the website. Most fascinating thing is we A-B tested, we'd have a chat on one side of the screen, a natural buy tickets on the left side of the screen, and people just preferred this method. So we the digitization of the box office is one thing, but I could show you a website where people just choose the right side because they like getting a couple questions answered and then having their purchase yeah. name as yeah. opposed to just click, point, and hunt. This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. I assume you're old enough to know that if you wanted to buy same-day tickets for a Broadway show, there was a place for that in Times Square where you had to literally go there, stand there in the morning, find out what's available, and then buy those tickets. And that seems like from yesteryear, honestly, for what we're talking about here. It's important to understand that people are expecting 24-7 access and so, you know, whether you have a physical box office or it's staff nine to five, uh, across our system, I think we're in the 50 to 60% of all our volume comes after hours. Yeah. So our whole, our whole, you know, statement to our customers is the optimization of your, your resources. I don't know who you have staffed at 2 a.m. or at 11 p.m. at night, but there are buyers that are ready then. And so whether it's walk up to something or just contact you, uh, we're amazed at how the post-COVID world, the, I'm working at home, uh, 
So I no longer have like a nine to five job. Yeah. I might do something at seven in the morning, then take my kids to school. And then I have a bunch of other meetings and I have a dog and then I have to go get a kid. You know, you have so many other things in between that sometimes your work hour extends. And then by the time you start your personal life, it's maybe eight o'clock at night when there isn't staffing available. So our system is designed as a new staffing alternative or supplement. Okay. Um, so are you helping teams with, just when the mood strikes, you're available to them to help, you know, satisfy a sale? Or are you also working with them to try to figure out how to provoke buyers into wanting to purchase tickets? Yes, the the latter is very important. Many times we, when we started the company, it started basically as a food finder. And so then expanded into parking or, you know, things about the game or things about that we'll call the journey. And then we'd be like, well, hey, by the way, if you're interested in that, do you need tickets? Or if someone's like, hey, how do I get um, a mobile ordering to my seat? Well, that's probably someone who's interested in a premium experience. Would you be interested in a package? So we're using a lot of the data to also identify buyers and, and premium buyers. And we've also worked with some companies now that are using like push notifications or, or some other things to get our product into the hands of more fans, either via email or other. So it is about identifying them, not just when they're in the mood, but just even early in the journey. Yeah. Who could we pick up and, and potentially convert? Okay. Um, and as you're working on this, this is all obviously fluid, the technology itself, um, working with the teams. If we revisit this in a couple of years, what will teams be doing? What will you guys be doing? I mean, that the, the natural end game is that every season ticket member or even fan gets their own personalized staff from the Astros or from, you know, whatever brand you're speaking to very so much. AI when, concierge. Is that what you're talking about? Like an AI concierge staff? Yeah. Very much like Jarvis in Iron Man. Uh -huh. That was always my vision for what this would become. And so as much as, Tony Stark and Jarvis had a relationship where Jarvis knew what he liked and things that he didn't like. I think that the way this is all moving, you're going to, you're going to have that experience, not in three years in less than, I think it's 18 months or less. You'll start to see some real development in that area. How about outside of a sports team? Can I have Jarvis just for life? Is that, are you working on that one? So we have 200 clients outside of sports. So the first object is to make sure you have a good experience in the places that you go and then being able to connect a lot of AIs together, which is very much what you'll see when Google launches their Project Sparrow and some of these others. This whole idea about what Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa, like all those movements towards this personal entity, if you will. Uh, they're all going to start coming together in the next few years now that the intelligence layer, layer and the generative layer like ChatGPT is, is arriving. Okay. Um, all right. Let me ask the existential question since you're in the middle of it. Are you scared of the future at all where people aren't as necessary as they used to be? It's funny you say that. My, uh, I was at my kid's school. I was in the principal's office and it wasn't for a positive uh, reinforcement meeting. <laughs> and they said, oh, are you in the AI space? He said, yeah, they go, is ChatGPT going to eliminate like schools, like uh -huh. education? And I said, um, 
when are you retiring? And they said, well, <laughs> maybe sooner than later. I said, no, it's just an application that will change the way we learn and how we teach. I think it, at some point you have to really understand that all these machines are learning from people. And so if you stop the people, then the machines at some point will just be like generating their own, uh, recycling a lot of their own things. I don't think we need to be overly concerned. I do think we need to adapt and leverage the tools that we have and then put everyone on the same playing field, not be too scared that they're going to run amok and Arnold is going to come out with, you know, a real life physical <laughs> manifestation. <laughs> We're not all the Connor family. Good. Okay. We don't have a dystopian future. Does not exist? That's fine. It is funny. You brought up teaching because I am an adjunct professor and at my alma mater. And one of the first things I said to the kids this semester was I would not rely on chat GPT to do your assignments. If I were you, if anything, it's who could write the best paper about this using chat GPT could be a different way of looking at it yeah. because all tools are, you know, a hammer is a hammer. A lot of people could do a lot of different things with with tools. It's just another tool that we need to change the way we evaluate. Yeah, the usage I, of. I think my my uh, I think I told them, you know, I will be able to tell if what you turned in was something that no rudimentary journalist would ever write as a human being. <laughs> I saw one uh, write it like Hemingway. Yeah, I recently saw someone do that one. I said, yeah, that's that's great, unless you're a writer. Yeah, and unless no one you, thinks you're you actually Hemingway and doesn't expect you to write like Hemingway. <laughs> yeah, we've already we have Hemingway. So how do you? It, it's gonna actually, I think, push the creative. I think you're gonna see the creative element, like art and things. As much as AI is creating it now, yeah, people will just find a new way to differentiate what they do, and and that's gonna be fun. I think it will be interesting for sports teams as well that they're utilizing this obviously for sales purposes, but content creation for sports teams has always been a circular motion for them in house. And I and I do I agree with you. I think if they're if they leverage this right, they might be able to communicate with their fans through content better and more effectively. Think about how much more people will read. I mean, a lot of the a lot of ChatGPT is mostly text. I mean, it, there's obviously other AI for generative or imagery, but yeah, it can explain things easier. We can educate people on the rules of the game faster. There's there's so many advantages that people's concerns, I just think, are about they don't know enough about how to use it. That's yeah. That's, I think, the next education. Don White is the CEO of Satisfy Labs. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. On the next Future Sport Podcast, how gaming is part of team building. Yeah, in particular, I think a lot of them speak to their love for playing Warzone, which we hear so often from so many different athletes and celebrities across culture. Of course, um, Call of Duty has been an icon in entertainment for going on two decades now. That's Johanna Ferris, GM of Call of Duty, which was part of the Chiefs' Super Bowl championship story. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.